0: JLA Cast, a podcast in which we revisit Grant Morrison's legendary run on JLA, arguably the greatest superhero comic ever written, one issue at a time. My name's John, and I'm the writer and creator of Afterlife Inc.
1: And I'm PJ, and I am the writer of the graphic novel adaptation of Steve Jackson's The Troll Wars. And again, I forgot our intros, and I thought you were going to say more for some reason then.
0: Yeah, and I, I got like two-thirds of the way through it, and then had a kind of like little crisis where I was like <laughs> can I skip the landing and I just about did it which is good I think it's I got I, I, I normally have like um the web page open so I can remind myself of the intro and I was like no come on John you've been doing this for what 20 24 24 episodes now I, I think you can I think you can take the training wheels off and uh almost screwed it almost so uh, balls get right up
1: training wheels going back on as of next episode
0: Mm. I think that's fair, um, <laughs> I, and uh, yeah, God, now my sentence is dying. PJ, PJ, take the take the reins, <laughs> take, take the whale, take, take the whale, PJ, save us. Take, I'd rather take the whale. Take I the love whale. whales; oh they're great.
1: So, hello, I've been put on the spot and have to talk at you now because John's forgotten how to speak. So, if you listened to our last episode, and if you didn't, you need to go back and do that. We are continuing the same comic this week the very same comic we were looking at last time uh
0: yeah with a completely
1: arbitrary um break in the narrative well you say arbitrary we' we counted the pages and found that it divided equally into three parts of 32 pages but that if we stopped on page 32 we'd literally be stopping in the middle of a scene so we did move forward a little bit further but we you know it, it's not as arbitrary as you might think.
0: And yeah, we are completely off the beaten track here because, you know, uh, as evidenced by the very existence of this show, we're quite used to that kind of 22-page monthly um, floppy format, as some people refer to it. And here we are, deep in the paint, on a an original graphic novel from, from DC. It's JLA Earth 2. Indeed. And I was genuinely quite excited to be coming back to it today PJ which is not not that I'm not excited on a regular a regular episode I mean what's not to be excited about I've got (laughs) a classic comic and and your your amazing company but um, this one in particular I was thinking about it earlier going like oh yes like a like a fine wine and an old friend we're coming I can't wait to uh, get back get back into it
1: I'm I'm particularly looking forward to us covering the the third section of the of the comic on the next show because it's got, and I remembered this when uh, when I read the whole thing before we recorded the last show, but it's got some amazing moments for Jean.
0: Mm. Now, where do you... Now, I, I, I can't remember if we talked about this before, um, but PJ, where do you stand on the theory that Jean is more powerful than Superman?
1: I think he is. Mm, I agree. I, I think, think I... that... If they both cut loose, well, it's tricky. Jean, I think has, he, he's as strong as Superman and he's got more powers. So he's got the the psychic powers and the shape-shifting and the ability to go intangible and invisible.
0: And Martian vision.
1: Martian vision. Superman does have heat vision, which is he could cause a fire, and that is Jean's weakness. So that does put some advantage in Superman's court. But I, I genuinely think that if... If it came down to it, Jean could take
0: Superman in a fight. Yeah, I've always, I've always felt that way. And maybe like the only reason Superman has the edge is because he's got like a, a degree of determination. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, I don't know. I, Superman is such an interesting one, isn't it? Isn't he? Because. You either make him godlike and unbeatable or you make him more of just a strong dude who can fly. I know like in the JLA cartoon or uh, Justice League cartoon in the in the kind of Tim-verse, hmm. um, I think they did depower both... Superman and Jean a little bit? Because I, I don't recall Jean having any of his super strength in the cartoon. They focus more on his telepathy, shape-shifting, and, and so on. There are definitely moments of super strength, but
1: I think, yeah, they, they both get depowered slightly. Uh, like Superman regularly is just getting blasted by energy weapons and it's it's hurting him in that show. And I think they, they do that for narrative purposes because it suits the stories they're telling and it works very well I, I love those shows but i think there is an element of depowering i was actually just trying to think and i've, I've got a suspicion i'm not 100 percent sure because i'm not fully uh au fait with let's say post new 52 dc comics but i feel like jean has been depowered slightly in the comics these days and and isn't quite on superman's level anymore
0: i can't do you, are you saying that's in like the kind of current day Justice League kind of stories?
1: Yeah, I, I've I've read a few and it just feels to me like Jean isn't quite up there with Superman in terms of strength and his powers anymore. He's still got the psychic abilities and everything, but I feel like in in purely physical terms, he's not on the same level these days, whereas he definitely was in the 90s.
0: Is that certainly in the... Is that, is that liking some of the titles that uh, Bendis is writing nowadays?
1: Uh no, I haven't read many of those. Certainly not for the last year or so. But in the JLA book, uh, Justice League book that was written by uh, St- St- Tom King? King. No, Tom, Tom-,
0: Tom King. <laughs> I
1: think I think they he brought back uh, the uh, the Monitor and the Anti Monitor, and it was a whole brought back the Justice Society and and all that sort of thing. For the first time since they rebooted their universe. And but Jean and Superman were both in the book, and it, it just felt like Jean wasn't as powerful to me. I, I might I, be wrong, but that that was my interpretation.
0: I can understand how it would certainly be a challenge writing, you know, trying to come up with a credible threat when you've got a team that features two characters with that level of strength. Um I was like um in some of the post Morrison. Uh, storylines in JLA. Uh, there's Joe Kelly's run mm. from later in the series, uh, Joe Kelly and Doug Mank. And I quite like some of those. And But it did have this weird kind of elastic <laughs> sliding scale of power to suit the story, uh, to basically to suit the narrative. So... There was a storyline, uh, which I think you're familiar with, uh, which introduced Furnace, the burning Martian. Yes. Yeah. Which I quite like. I, I, I thought it was a fun little story uh, where it was revealed, and I, I don't think this is a spoiler because I think it's been retconned and, and written out of continuity that once upon a time there was a single Martian species, and they were deemed so powerful and so violent that the Guardian... Uh, wait, no, I was going to say the Guardians of the Galaxy, but <laughs> the, oh, uh, the Green Lantern leaders... Are they called the Guardians? The Guardians, yeah. Yeah. The Guardians basically did gene engineering on the Martians to defuse some of their violence and create two subspecies, the Green Martians and the White Martians, Hmm. Um, which goes a little counter to some of the Morrison ideas because... Yeah. If they're all shapeshifters, they can just look like whatever they want. I, I, I didn't really get the idea that whites and greens were different species. They were just... Your physical appearance can match your ideology when you're a shapeshifter, I guess. Anyway, the long and short of it was, uh, Martians weren't actually afraid of fire. It had been like psychically... That fear had been psychically, psychically put into their brains because in the presence of fire and suffering, Burning Martian's breed. Like, they they asexually reproduce and just start making more of themselves. And there's a line in that, because, spoilers, Jean goes evil, uh, where Superman flat-out says to the League, I can count on one hand... Something like he says, I can count on one hand the amount of people in the universe I would be wary of going toe-to-toe with... And Jean is at the top of that list, and he said Jean is basically the most powerful being on the planet. Hmm. And a couple of the leaguers, the more the younger ones, are like, "Whoa!" As if like that's a shock to hear Superman saying it. Yeah, but yeah, it's like it's the psychicness. Surely that gives him gives him the edge.
1: Isn't that the story that ends with Jean? the The final battle is is Jean fighting Plastic Man. Yes. Some, I can't remember the why or the how of it, but I remember the cover with with a giant burning Martian manhunter fighting a giant plastic man over a yeah, city.
0: Yeah, and for some reason, it's never explained how Plastic Man can suddenly increase his mass. Yeah, because I get it; it's like he can stretch, he can shapeshift, but I didn't think he could grow to be like eighty foot tall. Yeah. Um, but no, yeah, it's basically uh, if they're fighting a being with all of Zhong's powers. A shape shifting, super strong, psychic creature. How on earth do you beat it? And Batman goes, because he's Batman, <laughs> I can think of one member of the league who can beat him. And he reckons it's Plastic Man. Because he says Plastic Man's brain is no longer organic. Therefore, he is immune to psychicness. And he said. Ergo, this is Batman logic. The Burning Martian uh, fights by reading people's minds and then shape shifting to form the best shape to combat them. But he said it can't read Plastic Man's mind, and Plastic Man is pure inspiration. He's entirely a creature of the moment, so it's impossible for the Burning Martian to predict him. Basically, that was the logic. It was quite a fun. It was quite a fun scene, if I recall. Yeah. And
1: it brought Plastic Man back to the league after he'd been absent for a little while as well, which I liked. But on the other hand, if he's immune to psychic abilities, how does he join in the JLA psychic link?
0: That's a really good, really good question, PJ. I Maybe it's something he can <laughs> turn on and off. I don't know. Maybe it is, yeah. I remember in in the JLA Avengers crossover, um, JLA Avengers, uh, mm-hmm. it did kind of bug me that... Jean could use his psychic powers on the Vision. I'd always thought that the Vision was immune to psychic powers.
1: I don't... I don't know. It's, it's, Vision's one of those who's... I think it depends who's writing him, and I would trust Busick over most, if I'm honest. Uh, but, because he is... He's not a robot, He or an android. He's a synthesoid. He is a human, but he's a synthetic human, so technically, I guess... I don't know. But, you know, in Busic I trust.
0: (laughs) I do. I love it, though. I do love those weird um, when people, when a creator thinks about how someone's powers would work in a unique way. Mm. Like, um, I'm not a big Jeff Jong's reader, to be honest. And I think one of the few stories I've read of his was uh, uh, Reg Zone. Yes. For the Avengers. A a story I I, I quite like. And... uh, there's a fun thing there where they're going into this, this big cloud of flesh-eating bacteria and all the human Avengers have to don protective suits, but Vision doesn't because he's a robot yeah. or, or a symphozoid. makes perfect sense. Uh, Jack of Hearts doesn't because he's practically invulnerable. It's, I just love that kind of thing. It's like, oh, that just makes sense. Like, yeah, why the hell not?
1: Yeah, or like when, when they go into space and some of the Avengers wear full space suits, some of them just wear a helmet and some of them don't even bother with that
0: yeah like uh Iron Man will just you know have have a suit of a ready yeah uh, there's um i think we've talked about it again before we're just treading old familiar ground but <laughs> the uh earth's mightiest Heroes Avengers cartoon yes, which i think is fantastic it's so so good uh the storyline in which they go into uh, a gamma irradiated prison and it it is very close to being a, a horror cartoon for a little mm. while, and uh, everyone dons protective suits. Thor doesn't because he's 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 Thor. Oh. Why well, he's a god, and Iron Man just turns like a little disc on his chest and it glows green.
1: Oh yeah, that's a great moment actually. I'd forgotten about that. There you go. It's
0: a good cartoon, PJ. It's, it's it so is good. It is. Um, but no. Um, I sorry. It is me just rambling, rambling incessantly. Um, got my tongue working again though, which is good. Uh, PJ, PJ, where, where what the heck are we talking about? Where where were we, and what the hell is happening?
1: Well, we're we're looking at JLA Earth Two uh, now. Previously on Earth Two, because as we've we've already said, this is a 96-page graphic novel, so we couldn't cover it in one episode. We've broken it into chunks. So part one, Alexander Luthor from another Earth where the Justice League's counterparts are an evil group called the Crime Syndicate of America, and Alexander Luthor is the world's only superhero, has crossed over into the JLA's universe to recruit the League in a battle against the Syndicate. Uh, And essentially where we are at the moment is after Batman initially being very reluctant, he's been convinced, okay, we'll go do this, we'll go help this Earth. Aquaman and Jon are staying on the Justice League's Earth, just in case. And uh, the crime syndicate just had a meeting where they they figured out where Luther's gone, and they're uh, they're a bunch of dicks. The crime syndicate. Let's be honest.
0: Yeah, they are. Um, there's no honor among thieves, basically. So they are all just backstabbing and sycophantic and self-serving, violent people. Really, I'm always I'm always amazed at how like um, the bad guys even function. Most of the time, because if, if your if your entire nature is to be self serving and dare I say it evil, how on earth are you gonna found uh, you know a, a working organisation when you're all trying to kill each other? I do not know. Well, I think
1: that's why certainly in comics, things like the Injustice Gang or the Masters of Evil have they come and then they go away for ages, and then when they come back, it's an entirely different lineup that's purely around for one story because the infighting just wouldn't work to be a long-term
0: team. Well, um, that well, come to think of it, I think we're going to be seeing a lot more exploration of how a world might actually work when everyone is self-serving and nasty in this installment. Um, and it did just occur to me, I should say, because if anyone's listening who is maybe more familiar with the DC-established multiverse... Nowadays, um, the, calling this Earth Two or referring to one universe as as being numbered, uh, this this in no way in no way relates to the current DC multiverse numbering system at all.
1: Uh, no, or the one that was there before Crisis on Infinite Earths, when Earth One was the JLA, Earth Two was the Justice Society, and Earth Three was the Crime Syndicate.
0: And as we, oh God, yes, it was, yeah. Because as we've said many, many a time, uh, this book was clo- is closer chronologically to Crisis on Infinite Earths than it is to the present day. Why do you keep having to bring that up and make me feel all old and decrepit, John? <laughs> the relentless march of time cannot be avoided, PJ. And I guess the reason I bring that up is, is PJ teachers, because you know so much, <laughs> is this the first reappearance of a parallel earth in the DC universe.
1: I don't think it's the first uh, appearance of a parallel earth cuz you get parallel reality stories through well they had DC versus Marvel and that was DC meeting a parallel earth a few years before this. So, but was that in have, canon? At the time it was. Oh god, was at, it? At this point in time it was. Yes. Uh, I think it's JLA Avengers that breaks the canon for that, and obviously everyone would rather have JLA Avengers in canon than so DC much. versus Marvel. So and there, there would have been other alternate reality stories, but none that sort of did the hard and fast, this is Earth 1, this is Earth 2. This is the first one that I think brings that back, mm. that sort of number the Earths, and so far actually in this book as well it's been the JLA's reality that's been numbered Earth 2 because it's Alexander Luthor who's numbered them so the crime syndicate are Earth 1 technically.
0: Which again is is a fun little subversion Um, as much as I um, I don't want to say loved but as much as I kind of liked DC's Multiversity uh, also written by Morrison many many years later um, I not sure how I feel overall about numbering and codifying the multiverse so much, if that makes sense. Like is it looking like the Marvel multiverse, I like the idea that there's probably like infinite multiverse, uh, infinite parallel Earths, and we don't need to catalogue them all because there are just so many of them. And was it um, the main Marvel universe is? Universe six one six, yeah, is that correct? Right, yeah. So, the weird thing about the, DC, the current DC multiverse, as I understand it, is that there's 52. There are exactly 52. DC
1: have a weird obsession with that number, and it—I I don't know why. I, but yeah, I,
0: I, I, I won't. Bl- I can't blame Grant Morrison, but I think Morrison is in some way involved. Because it, as you say, it goes back to uh, 52. Yeah, the, the weekly book. The weekly book, which Morrison was one of the four writers on. And I honestly think because Morrison just has such like a, a a Midas touch with DC products that like, again, there's no real reason for, for, for the number or the word 52 to mean anything. But it's just like, ah, 52, 52. That was a popular thing. So then you get the new 52 for no reason other than it sounds cool.
1: Well, 52 served a purpose as a book because it came just after Final Crisis. And Final Crisis finished and then all of DC's books jumped forward a year. So they all had Mm. the one year later logo on them. And there was a year of story that wasn't really missed, but there there was stuff we hadn't seen. And that's what 52 was designed to fill in. That series... Told us what happened in that year when Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman were absent as well. They'd all gone off for one reason or another to oh, better PJ, themselves. PJ,
0: not to not to disagree, but was it after Infinite Crisis rather than Final Crisis?
1: Yes, you're right. I I, I got. I meant Infinite Crisis. I was picturing the cover to Infinite Crisis in my head where Superboy and Nightwing are teaming up, but for some reason my mouth said Final Crisis, so I do apologise you know for what, that.
0: PJ, it's not like DC has done more than one <laughs> exactly. Crisis. I, I don't know how you could be expected to keep track, <laughs> track <laughs> of these.
1: But I think it was straight after 52, didn't they then go into Countdown? Yeah,
0: they counted up. Which was another
1: up. 52 issue weekly.
0: Yeah, uh, they, they counted up, then they counted down. Yes, Cause, cause and it,
1: countdown was countdown to Final Crisis for like the last twenty issues or so. So you had this this like two years after Infinite Crisis, Final Crisis happened and rebooted everything, and that was then when they had the new Fifty Two. So they've already used it three times in the
0: space of two years. Yeah, because Infinite Crisis reintroduced the concept of a multiverse, but yes. then it Final Crisis hinted at some multiverse stuff. Again, Morrison's kind of blueprints for building this new new multiverse. But then it wasn't until Multiversity, which came after Final Crisis, where they specifically did the map of the multiverse. Like which which is don't want to take it away from them is 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 a is a thing of beauty. Like it it is a such a complex project to try and go we're going to combine nearly a century's worth of stories and concepts into one coherent map. So we've got everything from Neil Gaiman's Sandman and, you know, The Endless to Hell, to New Genesis, to Apocalypse, even Wonderworld from JLA makes an appearance and it all kind of makes sense. The problem I have with it is that it's now setting stone and there's maybe less room for actual kind of exploration or coming across anything completely new. Well, there's... There's a concept
1: in there of you have the multiverse, but then there are multiple multiverses that form the omniverse, and they sort of all cluster together. So if you do want to bring in a different reality that isn't on the map of alternate realities in the multiverse, you just go into a different multiverse and bring one in there, and it's part of the omniverse. But that gets real complicated very quickly.
0: Well, haven't they now... Because I I think multi-multiverse multiversity was like the last mainstream DC thing I probably probably read. And... um, I think I ended with, like, oh, here's a map of the multiverse, and there's maybe, like, a hint that there's multiverse B as, like, a, <laughs> another hmm. one. And it hasn't, like, in, year, in years since, hasn't, like, DC done, like, um, they've got, like, the dark multiverse or something like that, like an entire multiverse made up of, like, evil universes. Isn't that a thing?
1: Yeah, I think so. I've got a feeling that was sort of the, the basic concept for the um, the Dark Knight's Metal Mm. Crossover series.
0: And they've got Uh, the Batman who laughs as well. Yeah, yeah. Which I don't want to take away from anything from. But I also worry it's all getting a bit gnarly. Oh, it is. Yeah, like it's like someone discovered. I don't know, like they were flicking through, like they pushed aside like an old filing cabinet in the DC office and they just found like a ton of really dusty like vinyls of just like, uh, hey guys, like. Hair metal was a thing. Like, you know, remember... And death metal. Yeah, yeah. Why don't we kind of dust this off and make everything edgy, I guess? What
1: they did was they pushed aside a filing cabinet and found loads of copies of Spawn.
0: Oh, Oh, PJ, you're right.
1: Basically, the mid-90s
0: are coming back. It's like Todd McFarlane was chilling in his workshop present day chilling in his workshop kind of pondering his next lawsuit and he left the window open and a and a breeze picked up like all his like unused sketches for new figurines based on fairy tales and kind of blew them out the window and then across into another building and across the desk at like dc editorial <laughs> and then without even even thinking we just kind of reg stamped it and and then you got a Batman who is a Joker. And there's like a Joker Superman as well now, yeah. I think. Yeah. To me,
1: the Batman Who Laughs is if you combined like Spawn with Judge Death from the Judge
0: Dread books and then put a Joker smile on him. Yeah. I think the problem with the Joker is. He well, there's many problems with the Joker, but like yep. he he was the greatest villain. And now he's everywhere, and yes. it's just such shorthand for instant—not even credibility, instant interest. I think if you just slap a Joker on it, and so yeah, having a Joker Batman, it's like Batman with a lightsaber. It's like Batman with a Green Lantern ring. It's—it's it's, it's such a a internety kind of joke about like something being quote unquote badass. I guess.
1: There are some great Joker stories out there, but I would maybe argue that no one's really done one for quite a while now in any medium. And Mm. the proliferation of the Joker is just diluting his power and impact when he does show up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Because it's like, you know, any new creative team takes over Batman. You know it's only a matter of time until the Joker comes along. I guess it's like, how could you not? you know but it would take a will of steel to not do your joker story everybody i guess everybody wants that i think though
1: there's an element of make sure you've got a joker story before you dive into a joker story <laughs> you know I, it's it's don't just tell a joker story so you've used the character tell a
0: joker story because you've got a joker story to tell i've got to say like i felt i know i, I know i'm i'm frequently a little uh i lean a little hard on bendis um (laughs) but when i when i heard that bendis was going to be taking over jla i basically saw it in my head i was like well i pretty much can guess exactly what he's going to do and of course he's going to bring the joker in because i don't think he he could not I Mm. i think that's just like of course he's going to play around with all the big the big toys i i think that's just Oh, God, yeah, and he, the way he wrote Norman Osborn for, like, ten years over at Marvel. Like, of course he's going to do Lex Luthor.
1: Yeah, but I, th- I feel like with Bendis, love him or loathe him, at least he won't be using it just for the sake of using it. He'll feel like he has an actual idea and a story to tell. It may not be a story we enjoy, but he goes into it going, I've got an idea, I'm going to do this, rather than just going, I need to use this character
0: now. Well, hasn't he? hasn't he actually brought back Ultraman? recently? I'm not sure, to be honest.
1: I haven't read the last issue. I did read some of his Superman when he took over the Superman books, but the last one I read was the one where Superman outs himself as Clark Kent to the world, and I haven't actually read any since that.
0: Yeah. I do have a feeling, though, that Bendis... I don't know. I feel Bendis is a better recycler than an innovator in a way. I I think he's very big on picking up popular things in the past and bringing them back. And sometimes doing a good spin on it and sometimes not, but I don't get a massive amount of innovation from his books.
1: I will say, I, I think there's there's one thing he did do, which,
0: or maybe even two
1: things actually. One, the first one is just bringing Spider-Man onto the Avengers. I never understood for years why that was such a no, you can't do this at Marvel. And then he did it and it worked really well. And now Spider-Man just is an Avenger sometimes and that's great. But, also, Miles Morales. Mm, mm. I'll always give him the time of day for Miles Morales. I think there's a lot of stuff he did sort of introduce that I, I think he did over-rely on Norman Osborn and having Norman Osborn become the super-adaptoid or whatever it was during his Avengers run. That just did not work. It was too much Osborn, <laughs>
0: so unnecessarily. Much, so much Osborn.
1: <laughs> um. Have, you know, having Osborne as a one-off Avengers villain was interesting, but having him be the recurring Avengers villain of Bendis's run just
0: made no sense to me. Yeah, I don't know. Sorry, this this isn't meant to be my my kind of harping on harping on Bendis kind of thing, but yeah, here we are. I just find it interesting that the the uh, the concluding kind of takeaway points to my TED talk, PJ, are that. Morrison's influences uh, the 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 effects of Morrison can be felt like for for many years from now and i think yes. there's <laughs> i think the work done in Earth 2 in particular he said bringing it back to the topic i think many creative teams following this have have picked up these characters and these concepts entirely based on what Morrison did here
1: yeah i would agree with that should we get back into it yes so we are jumping straight in the Crime Syndicate have just had a meeting where they talk about basically getting ready for whatever Luther's bringing from the universe of matter, how they can prepare for that. And Ultraman and Owlman have had a, a bit of swearing at each other and, you know, threatening each other. You know, Ultraman's super powerful and could crush Owlman's head, but Owlman has some pictures of
0: Ultraman. Yeah, and, like, um, there's a weird... Um, backstabby, not very pleasant love triangle thing going on here, I guess, where technically Superwoman and Ultraman are together, but in a kind of gross, kind of trophy wife kind of way, I guess, and whereas her and Owlman are having an affair, but it's like an open secret that they're having an affair.
1: Yeah, everyone knows.
0: And Owlman just likes winding Ultraman up i guess
1: it's twisted
0: And yeah they they're not fun characters but they definitely well they are fun characters but in a they're not nice characters they feel quite they're very they're, they're well fleshed out villains they all feel like unique types of scumbag i think
1: and it's a nice inversion of the relationship between the trinity because with batman superman wonder woman there is respect that is mutual respect between the three of them. That that is each of them trusts the other, knows each other's limitations, and they can work well together because of it. There is absolutely no respect at all between Ultraman, Superwoman, and Owlman, and they hate each other's guts. And they only sort of work together out of necessity.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you get a. It's interesting that you get like a different flavor of their their cruelty because like mm. ultraman is an inverted version of superman but he doesn't have superman's kind of brilliance in a way like he's a lot more of a blunt instrument like he yeah a thug really
1: yeah people forget that superman doesn't just have his powers he's got a very keen mind he he thinks things through it's only because he's on a team with batman <laughs> that that doesn't always you don't always notice it quite so readily but Ultraman does not have that. He's not one for planning. He
0: yeah, just uses force. Whereas we see here that Owlman really has thought of like he he's a much more cunning and well clearly clearly very very smart but is oh just like he has he has he's a few steps ahead of Ultraman is what I'm saying yeah. about like what what this actually means for them. But I guess having been introduced to this inverted trinity we are literally going into the toilet.
1: Yep. We are joining Johnny Quick and Powering in the Crime Syndicate's bathroom, which is quite possibly the most ostentatious room we've seen on their version of the Watchtower so far, because it is all gold, shiny, with statues and like clamshell basins. And it's it's like Donald Trump's bathroom.
0: <laughs> Except probably probably smells a little better even (laughs) even in this gross gross universe and yeah uh power ring is taking a leak and uh johnny quick is shooting up uh because right now he is sweating profusely and is talking in a weird slow-mo kind of drawl basically
1: yeah, so this is where we learn how Johnny Quick and Power Ring's powers differ from Flash and Green Lanterns. Johnny Quick is all drugs that, that juice him up and get him up to super speed. And Power Ring's ring uh is cursed by a Tibetan
0: mystic creature called Volthoom. <laughs> yeah, and right away I love I I it's the small details that make this for me, but I love the fact that while this is an inverted version of the JLA, they're not direct copies. Yeah. Which is so weird. You could tell the exact same story with carbon copy evil versions of the JLA, but no, this isn't Kyle and Wally. And you say their their powers are similar, but also completely different at the same time.
1: It's like Morrison's gone right back to the very beginnings of... of the characters of flash and green lantern and gone not necessarily what is like an evil version of getting struck by lightning and being doused with chemicals and connecting to the speed force it's just what is an evil version of getting super speed a drug okay that you inject that's fine what is an evil version of a power ring that grants your wishes some kind of evil spirit genie thing rather than just going evil space cop
0: yeah and it's like I, and again we we don't really know like uh, it raises more questions than it answers but in a good way but like well does this mean that there is a speed force like does the drug in some way allow him to tap into that or is he just a really fast dude i i don't I th- know
1: I think there has to be a speed force because drawing on continuity here if there wasn't a speed force Wally wouldn't be able to use his super speed
0: that is very true bj and I'm sure that was Foremost at, at Morrison's mind <laughs> when they were <laughs> writing this. Um, a couple of things we mentioned um, uh, last episode. Uh, uh, Bucks, uh, Frank Quitely's artwork looks amazing, just astonishingly detailed, as is always the case, and a big, big, big fan of reflective visors. I because- was just
1: going to say I absolutely love Power Ring's mask because it's the shape of Kyle's Green Lantern mask. But only the edge is green. The rest of it is like a vaguely green, but tra- but but um, yeah, just a shiny sunglasses style visor over his eyes that reflects in this particular panel his own fist as he holds it in front of his face, and it's it's beautiful. I love it.
0: I'm assuming that in this universe, the CSA kind of took quite early in their crime career took down like a a sunglasses factory or something like that, and have just controlled the patent like ever since because Johnny Quick's visor is also exactly the same and Owlman's eyes are that same reflective material as well. Like, quietly, just enjoyed drawing it, I think. And I yeah. am totally in favour of it because it looks amazing.
1: I also love what he does with Johnny Quick in the last panel because it's just a conversation between Power Ring and Johnny Quick basically setting up how their powers work. And the final panel, once Quick has injected himself and has his super speed back up and running, he's got like a strobe effect going where there's four or five different Johnny Quicks with loads of arms and legs coming out of them all moving very quickly around the room. And I, I, It looks very different to how anyone has drawn Wally running at super speed and moving at super speed. And I just like that little detail that says it is it is a different version of the super speed power.
0: To be honest, and this is not, not to... Put down any other professional artist working in comics, but I don't think anyone else could have drawn um, Johnny Quick in this particular way. I think this is an almost quintessential, quietly kind of creation. Like it just, I agree, yeah, but he like doesn't plasticine. draw the
1: he doesn't draw Flash in this way. And you know, I think it's nice that you get oh, that differentiation.
0: That, that, no, you're right, PJ. You're right. That's a very good point. It's almost like you could almost kind of. Strike a chord and say, like, uh, you know, because uh, Johnny Quick is like the equivalent of a super powered heroin addict, maybe like his slightly kind of s- strobed image look is like a component of the nature of his druggy powers, mm. I suppose. Yeah, he but said, I, yeah, <laughs> no, I, I agree, I
1: think that's exactly what it is. it is. It's a way to show that his powers. Come from a
0: different place to Wally's. There's, um, uh, in Morrison and Quietly's uh, first run on Batman and Robin, years later, uh, they fight a character who is uh, three uh, conjoined triplers hmm. who uh, kind of fight as one. And in the uh, kind of director's commentary notes at the end, Morrison talks about how, uh, you know. They put in the script that we have this character who is like uh, uh, three three people, three adult males kind of like joined together and they fight in perfect kind of harmony and going like, thankfully, Quietly is the kind of person who draws this stuff anyway. just like all the <laughs> time. He's thinking like, is any artist going to be able to make this work? And it's like, yeah. He's saying like Quietly spends so many hours thinking about weird ways in which the body can actually work that, yeah, they were just completely down for it. And I I kind of think the same way about how how he draws Johnny Quick because, yeah, like the grasp of anatomy is kind of shocking, shockingly good, I would say.
1: I think the other main takeaway from this page as well is the final panel is basically Johnny Quick saying a matter universe means matter versions of us could be the best fight we ever had. And there's a cockiness here. The, the the syndicate think they're unbeatable and they're relishing a fight with people of equal power to them.
0: Well, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because their world seems quite different in that um, they're bored in a way. Yeah, Like um, the Justice League are always dealing with bigger, bigger threats like all the time. And yet the CSA have essentially conquered the world. Like there is, you know, what do you do when you've got godlike powers and... Everything you want. Like, yeah, you want a challenge. And they're gonna get one. Ooh, PJ. <laughs> <laughs> uh so we cut from uh the the executive toilets to uh the teleport bay, where Ultraman and Superwoman are having um well, I, I think argument is probably like the wrong is too light a point. Um a really hateful encounter, I would probably say, is, is, is a bit more accurate.
1: Yeah, Ultraman demands that she talk to him and grabs her, and Superman doesn't take his hands off and threatens to hang him with the lasso of, I don't know, what is it, the lasso of lies in this universe? Uh,
0: let's say yes. The, the uh, crime,
1: Superwoman's version of the lasso of truth.
0: Yeah, and... The, the straight, uncoiled rope old lies (laughs) the stick of lies basically (laughs) uh yeah but um she basically says yeah one day i'll hang you with this and um just climbs into a teleport pod and then i think we get the first swear word ever in a in a in a morrison jla comic
1: yeah and i don't know how i feel about it I mean, it does feel in keeping with Ultraman's character. He calls Superwoman a bitch as she teleports out. But it's it, it it's weird when you've been reading normal JLA and then you get to this graphic novel and there it is.
0: It is interesting, isn't it? Because um, obviously we've been working with Howard Porter's artwork up until this point for, for the vast majority of stories. And they... Both Howard Porter and Frank Quitely are very different artists, and they each bring something different to the book. And it's it's interesting that we've talked about the main series being so kind of bright and dynamic and larger than life, hmm. and with Quitely, and you know, and then you look at Quitely's work, which is brilliant, but has a certain grittiness to it. Like this does feel like a more adult. Version of the JLA, even though these are the characters I like, and I agree with you. It's like it is quite strange to hear a Superman esque character swearing, particularly when there has been no uh, language of that nature in Morrison's other books in the series. But again, it is fitting, and just kind of shows you how kind of like sordid this world is. It's really grimy.
1: Just, uh, just checking because I believe. At this point, the uh, Comics Code Alliance thing was still around. I don't think Marvel... Because it was Marvel who first moved away from that and then it just eventually sort of stopped being in place. I can't find their logo anywhere on this book, so that's probably why. Well, here's a
0: question for you. Was it actually on... You know, now you've got me thinking, was it actually on the main JLA series? I can't remember. I can't remember. Because it's weird, isn't it? It's not that there are it's not that there aren't adult comics so there certainly were adult comics being made at yep. the time
1: yeah vertigo existed by this point had yeah. done for several years it's
0: just weird isn't it yeah i get i guess you could you could in an alternate universe have made a real point about going and this is the first comic ever in which superman swears <laughs> um that <laughs> Superman or Ultraman swearing does not make the book interesting. <laughs> no, but um, yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? It's a very different, it's a very different beast. It's ain't your daddy's JLA, I suppose we should say.
1: Definitely not. But the scene ends with Owlman approaching Ultraman to say that there's something he ought to know, but we're not going to find out what that is yet.
0: And we speaking of sordidness, we cut to uh, a city street far below. And we, should we say it's Metropolis, I guess, maybe?
1: Yeah, the uh, Crime Syndicate Universe
0: equivalent of? Well, here's the thing, PJ. Speaking of that kind of grime and sordidness and quite kind of like gritty and intentionally ugly artwork sometimes, I have to say, like, I did not like this at first, the first time I read it. Like... I was like, I feel kind of dirty in this world, and it's only in no when I first read it, I was like, "Ooh, wow, yeah, this is grim." Yeah. but it wasn't until later years that I came to appreciate it more. But like, yeah, this universe is kind of horrible. It is, and I,
1: I don't think it helps that if I'm being honest, the the JLA themselves, I feel like a lot of them quietly are still. Maybe getting a handle on, like I do feel in this book, his flash is maybe a little too bulky, mm-hmm. uh, and certainly his Superman. By the time he does All Star Superman, two or three years later, is is he's he's nailed Superman by then. That is beautiful, but he's not quite there yet.
0: Yes, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I he he's definitely got the chunkiness of Superman. Like he draws him with a real kind of weight here, mm. which I do like, but. Yeah, you're so right, a completely different beast to how he draws him in All-Star Superman. And that's very interesting as well, because like All-Star Superman is a very bright universe, Mm. and Quietly's artwork suits it perfectly. I don't think any other artist could have drawn that book in that way. Uh, And yet, yeah, here you've got that... that, well just grottiness like he it's like his early work on um the uh, the authority with mark miller like that is a very kind of dirty book for lack of a better word <laughs> you know you kind of feel like you need a wash after reading it
1: yeah i know what you mean and i think he leans into that he's because of it, i think the syndicate are great in this book they're basically perfect but and it might be that he intentionally has grimed up the league a little bit just so that it doesn't feel too jarring when you've got the two of them meeting, like you had to do the same art style. Because I think his Luthor as well is is superb in this mm. book. It's just absolutely brilliant. Um, it's As I say, it's just the, the League themselves don't quite feel there. Jean and Batman, I think maybe, are excellent in this, but I, I feel like he would do better with some of the other characters later on.
0: Well, I know what you mean though, because like... If you're drawing a main... Say you're drawing a mainstream Justice League comic in the 90s, or you're drawing The Avengers. A, yes, you want your artwork to be good. But B, you also want it to be, for lack of a better word, cool. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a big thing about mainstream comic art, particularly at the time, which was meant to be, this is not how the world really is. is. This is this heightened Hollywood version of the world. Like... You look at the way Howard Porter draws Kyle versus the way in which um, Frank Quitely draws Kyle. Clearly the same character, but there's a certain weight and a kind of realism to Quitely's work. And I, I say this with the utmost respect for both artists. They, they yep. bring something different to it. I'm not saying that one is better than the other. I'm just saying that like when I look at Kyle as drawn by Howard Porter, I want to be Kyle. Like, I want to be that cool in a 90s fringe curtains kind of way. You know, I don't want to be this version of Kyle. Uh, And I'm not saying one is better than the other. I'm just saying they're doing very different things on the page. And really, they're on very different books,
1: even though they're both JLA written by Grant Morrison. Porter is the, the big ideas superhero book, the mainstream book that his his art suits perfectly for that book this is different this is something darker and grittier it's aside from the main series it's it's a nice complement to the main series if you do read it all but you can read it as one standalone thing you don't need to have read anything else morrison did with the jla to get it and and it works as its own thing
0: yeah um, and you don't really need to think about any greater continuity or anything like that do you i I I know I know you were saying that this was meant to be uh, part of an ongoing series of kind of standalone graphic mm. novels, an idea which I can actually a hundred percent support. I just wonder, given that some of the bigger concepts in this book and the fact that it does work as a completely standalone thing, do you do you suppose it was in any way going to be marketed at a more mature audience? That series.
1: I don't really know thinking about it. So I've read the other one they put out, The League of One, and that one didn't have... It didn't feel like something that was for a more mature reader. It just felt like a longer Justice League story than your standard issue.
0: Didn't feel particularly special either. This does make me think a little bit of when they um, would put different covers on Harry Potter novels. Oh, yeah. So that adults could read them. (laughs) I'm wondering if this is meant to be like the thinking man's Justice League comic, in a way, I look, don't know.
1: Look, I hated that. I'm a thinking man, and I read those Harry <laughs> Potter books with their bright, shiny kids covers on them because those were much better covers.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I, I just—it doesn't change the fact it's a good story. I just, yeah, it's, it's, you know, for me as as a as a younger teenager reading these for the first time, uh, I picked up Earth Two. And I picked up JLA World War Three, And I think and I think initially I liked World War Three more. Mm. Because I'm like, whoa, this is popcorn comics. This one, I feel like I need a wash. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think so do the League.
1: Because we are in the street with the League in civilian clothes, just having a look around. And Superman is basically saying, this is so grim. I've never seen anything like it. As a man
0: walks out of an alleyway and kicks a dog. And... Yeah, there's just like a load of crime and homeless people and uh, a guy drinking on the street and a movie theatre is showing uh, the three racketeers. Which, which is, is only a 15. Which is only a 15, which is, uh, again, a nice little, oh, inverted universe sort of thing. Um, But yeah, Kyle tries to intervene as this guy is kicking a dog and he does so by making a big green energy dog appear to uh, scare the guy off. Uh, and everyone starts screaming and running in panic because they think the crime syndicate are here. Yeah, they shout that it's powering and
1: run away. And then Luthor drags them into an alley and starts shouting that all they have is the element of surprise and you need to get used to people kicking dogs. People are suffering. But, oh. hmm. yeah, Kyle rightly says he doesn't like the place and... Superman says, Look, we've seen enough. Let's act. And you get a nice shot of
0: the league putting their costumes on. And and again, going base this is one of the things I, I, I didn't like. As I said, I didn't like when I first read it, and it took me a long time to get my head around it because I found it too I was like, oh, that's weird. Like no universe would work this way. But of course, the idea that this is with Morrison is dealing with the concept of a universe where things inherently work out for the worst. Hmm. Like, you know, as bleak as you might feel the world is, sometimes we all believe that things generally work out for the best and people are at at their heart good and decent people. This is the opposite of that. And to drive it home, there is a horrible blinking-you'll-miss-it detail where the dog that Kyle saves runs for its life into traffic and on the next panel you very briefly see a bloody smear under the wheel of a bus yep yeah and i maybe this is you know we talked about the jla the jla looking our heroes looking a little kind of grimmer and grittier it's like this is almost what it would be like if the characters arrived in our world maybe where it's like <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah like things aren't bright things things are sometimes a little grim
1: So they decide to just get on with it. So Superman says, Green Lantern, moon's all yours.
0: Uh, Yeah, and they all do their classic kind of superhero getting changed thing, I suppose.
1: Yeah, so you get Kyle using his ring to change his clothes into his costume. Wally has his flash suit sort of melting over his clothes. And Superman's just ripping open his shirt and Wonder Woman's taking her glasses off.
0: Yes, we're thankfully spared the scene where Wonder Woman has to take her trousers off to change into her superhero costume. (laughs) Um, But then we cut to a dark and snowy Gotham and the interior of the police department where Commissioner Wayne is in his office late at night. And if you remember from our previous instalment, um things have gone badly for the police department because Owlman has gotten hold of a disk with the names of all the good cops who are loyal to Wayne as opposed to I'm guessing the vast majority of the force who are corrupt. Yeah. Or I guess normal in this world. Corruption yeah. is normal.
1: Yeah. And Thomas Wayne is is being set up as like the one good cop in the GCPD. And he's risen to the rank of commissioner. So being but- a good cop has got him so far. But with Owlman out there, he can't, he just has no power. He can't actually do anything. He's a puppet commissioner.
0: Yeah. And again, this is, this is where it's kind of, it raises so many questions about how this world functions. Cause it's like, yeah, he's supposedly a good man. He's supposedly in charge of the police. But yeah, again, he, as you say, he's, he's, he's powerless apparently. And, uh, his few allies are basically saying like look we're screwed we lost you know like he's our man is gonna is gonna track us all down now
1: and there's a there's a lovely detail because he's on he's sitting at his desk with his head in his hands and there's a photo in a frame that shows Thomas Wayne with his wife and his arm around his son presumably Bruce in the bottom left corner and then the bottom right corner of the image has been torn out. Hmm. So this is clue one and then someone appears behind him and it's Batman who is just
0: instantly in the room and And this is definitely a weird moment for Batman because he's smart enough to realise what this is and that his dad in this universe is chief of police, which has got to be a hell of a shock for him.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And he says he came to talk, and, and Commissioner Wayne just starts saying, I know you blame me for your mother's death that night. I know you blame me for Bruce. There is nothing left to talk about Thomas. So in this reality, the Waynes had two children, Bruce and Thomas Jr., and the mugging killed Martha and Bruce. An owl Owlman is Thomas Wayne Jr.
0: And intriguingly, I guess, it's uh, uh, we're, we're led to believe, and this puts their previous encounter... In a different light, that Commissioner Wayne just 100 percent knows who Owlman is. Like yeah. that isn't a isn't a secret. And I guess we should say that um, Commissioner Wayne's face is heavily bandaged on one side after um, Owlman kind of slashed it open. And now he's pointing a gun at Batman, and basically goes like, "You know, I'm going to kill you. You know, for what you've done to me, and I I just won't feel guilty anymore." And um, Yeah, and Morrison did a real good job of showing a a man in an absolute hopeless position. And Batman just goes, will you be guilty of murdering the wrong man? I'm not Thomas. I'm not Owlman. And he says, my name is Batman. I'm sorry to hear about your family. And And I
1: love this panel, this close-up on Batman's face, because there's a slight pause in the dialogue when he says, my name is, there's then three dots before he says, Batman and something about the way Quietly's drawn his face and the dialogue, it makes me feel like this is Bruce piecing together exactly what Owlman is in this reality and his relationship to Commissioner Wayne and working out do I tell him that I'm Bruce? And um, there's a lot happening in Batman's head and he makes his decisions very quickly, but he thinks about them in great detail. And this one panel, this one close-up of
0: Batman's masked face just says so much. That is a wonderful point, PJ, because obviously I'd... You're right, and there's layers here which I'd never truly kind of, you know, kind of um, picked up on. But yeah, on the one hand, Bruce is talking to his dad who is dead in his universe. As you say, he's also piecing together 101 other things as well. And I'd never even picked up the fact that Bruce being that smart would of course work out exactly what's going on here and know God it must be also kind of chilling to know that your alternate reality brother is the equivalent of you in this world
1: and I guess as well working out that in this reality Owlman isn't Bruce Wayne, Bruce Wayne is dead and died as a child in the very incident that inspired him to become Batman in the normal reality and yeah. the fact that he's just a- he's just able to deal with that straight away and go right down to business got to do the Batman thing it says a lot
0: yeah and you know also batman good at compartmentalizing things and like as horrifying as this is this isn't his world as he said at the start it's like you know we're not we're not universal we're not a universal police force, basically. We're not responsible for every world. But we get this amazing mirror of um Thomas Wayne, and we punch him closer on his face and he goes, Whatever stupid name you call yourself, I know my own son. I and there's just this faltering little moment <laughs> where you're just like, Oh my god. <laughs> like it's just weird for both of them, basically.
1: Yeah, Wayne, Thomas Wayne has realised here that something's up. Something's not right. This maybe isn't Thomas, but but before we, they can get any further in their conversation, two cops burst in pointing shotguns at Batman. And we all know how that
0: goes for people. And again, just again, two quote unquote good cops who are loyal to Wayne. And yet one of them says the most bizarre line. He goes, everybody here's got a grudge. You save a word. So they're convinced this guy is Owlman. Yeah. Which again raises the question of what, what does it mean to have a grudge against Owlman? Like, it, it, you know, they they having a grudge is enough to want to kill this guy who is an out-and-out out criminal. Like, but he's not a criminal because this is this inverted universe. So I'd be fascinated to know what Owlman's actual status is. In, this, in the city of Gotham, if that makes sense. But you also just can't
1: help but feel like, and this is just Batman, and but how Bruce is totally in control of this situation, even with shotguns pointing at him. And when Batman says in the next panel, in less than 12 hours, the crime syndicate's global operations will cease. And then you get a close up of his smiling. Uh, no, that's his eye. That's his eye. That's his eye, never mind. I thought it was a smiling mouth, but it's his eye. But you get a close-up of his eye saying, trust me, and you just feel like...
0: a visor slowly coming down across it.
1: Yeah, that's what it is. I don't know how I misread that so totally, but yes. (laughs) But you feel that Batman is
0: right. It's Batman saying this, so
1: this is going to work. It's all going to be good.
0: And without, you know, kind of just under the cover of it, again, some wonderful body language from Quietly... Very, very subtle. But Batman's hand going to his belt, like under his under his cape and quietly dropping like little pill-sized capsules onto the ground. And he goes, trust me and be ready. And as these things shatter on the ground there's this blinding flash of light and suddenly Batman is is leaping out, well towards us really, across the desk and uh, one of the guys gets a shot off and it blasts holes in his cape. It's a hell of a panel. It really is. It's stunning. And then the next page,
1: Batman just leaps out of the window and the cops shout that they can still get him as he fires his grappling hook and Commissioner Wayne tells them to stop. Don't shoot. And then just very quietly, don't shoot. So he's still, he's still piecing it together. He's thinking this through and he knows now that Batman is not a just owl man in a different costume with a different name, so it's the moment where he chooses to
0: trust him, and also he's taken his uh, glasses off, which is a very small and subtle thing, but could be interpreted as he's gotten a little a little emotional in a weird way, like he's having this kind of like almost existential moment where his yeah. dead son, his the one he lost, is is kind of back again. It's, it's uh, there's a lot to a lot to process.
1: I absolutely love that scene. I think it's one of my favourite scenes in the whole book because it's just so beautifully written and drawn and it's perfect Batman.
0: And if I can say, astonishingly uh, efficient storytelling. Yeah. Because that scene is only five pages and one of those pages uh, has only three panels on it. And think about how much there is to unpack in that moment. like. Yeah, just a real masterclass in getting content across and using your space in a meaningful way. Just so, so good. I'd almost go out on a limb, and say
1: it's those five pages that got Morrison the uh, the gig writing the
0: Batman books after he left JLA. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can see that. And again, like, I, oh man, there's a. There's a parallel universe out there where Quietly and Morrison are just pumping out Batman books endlessly. <laughs> like, it, <laughs> I would I would live in that world. I, I would just love to see them just continually at play there. It's just brilliant.
1: Actually, my theory doesn't work because they had a whole couple of years on X-Men in between, didn't they? So uh, it would be, yeah. he came off X-Men, went to DC and went, right, remember that five-page scene in Earth 2? <laughs> <laughs>
0: also, you remember how I pioneered Batman just going, huh? <laughs> you know, hmm. I, I I took a capital H and a lowercase h, and I uh, I put all of Batman's personality in those two letters. So, um, uh, give me a book, <laughs> give me a title, <laughs> I will run with it. Um, but yeah, so from um, Morrison just making us all look inferior, um, Batman climbs up onto a snowy rooftop where Wonder Woman is waiting.
1: Yeah, and Batman says that he has reservations and that if this world and the crime syndicate are their opposites, how does that reflect for them back home? And then Wonder Woman has a nice little speech where she says to him that evil isn't the reflection of good, Batman. Good is the reflection of good. We can polish the mirror. Then it's up to Luthor to, oh, here's Superman.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because, like, Batman's not being a pessimist. He's being a realist. Yeah, and Wonder Woman is maybe being an optimist, perhaps, and maybe reality won't live up to that. But there is a, she's saying it with a degree of conviction, really, that you believe her. You know, One, she, Wonder she Woman very much in... is an
1: optimist, not in the same way as Superman, but she and Superman, I would say, are two sides of the same coin in in that.
0: Mm. And and yeah, I mean, I'm mean, Superman, kind of, you know, kind of drifting down to join him says these people are living in a nightmare i've never seen such misery and hatred and again that's interesting in itself because superman is such a you know a positive symbol like superman kind of scans for the best in all of us and here he is up against a world which is just so relentlessly crushingly grim you know it's it's interesting that they don't that he or any of them don't buckle in the face of that, I suppose. It's a real test of their their um, their ideals, I guess.
1: And it feels like that's almost reflected physically in the way Quietly draws Superman in these two panels, in that he's, he's not majestic hovering above them. He's insulated almost. He's got his cape wrapped around him rather than flowing out behind him. And he doesn't need to do that for the cold. Superman doesn't feel the cold. He lives in the North Pole
0: he does yeah and uh, i've heard also pj i've checked the wiki and i think superman is quite strong yeah i don't i don't uh, think he really feels uh hot and cold in the same way that you and i would there's a rumor but you know <laughs> <laughs> it's, a <rumor>. it's not <laughs> confirmed you know citation needed but um um yeah and it's interesting i guess that the league are putting so much trust in in luther which is quite an interesting thing They're they they're really biding their time and sticking to a plan rather than they haven't just basically launched an assault on the moon to just try and beat beat the crap out of the CSA
1: well i feel like they you know they they've, they've seen this reality now they they've got an idea of what it is and having seen that it is an evil reflection of their universe and seen their counterparts. It probably cements the idea in their heads that if this Luthor is the complete flip side of the Luthor we know, then we should probably do what he says because he's the good guy here and he's right about all of this. So let's, let's follow his plan.
0: And as part of that plan, um, you know, as you said, Green Green Lantern is apparently in position on the moon. And Superman says that there's only one crime syndicate member absent. So he goes, join Luther in Ultraman's fortress and leave Superwoman to me and my moustache. His super moustache? That's a new power. Um, of OPJ. Is this foreshadowing? <laughs> I mean...
1: Oh, God. I, no, don't, don't bring it up.
0: Morrison did it first. I'm just no, saying, in the no. year 2000... The entire plot hinges upon Superman having a moustache, PJ. (laughs) And I've only just realised the significance of this. Oh, God. I don't think the moustache in this is CGI. No. Or CGI'd out. Uh, I do like the idea that Superman maybe just has... He has many powers, which we we haven't documented, but maybe he can just kind of focus really hard and make a moustache appear.
1: I think he's borrowed Batman's Matches Malone moustache.
0: Oh, yeah, I hope he washed it. <laughs> yeah. uh, and well, Batman, uh, as the three as the Trinity scanned in the snow and look out over this grim world, Batman says, "I hope we're all absolutely sure we're doing the right thing, whatever that means here. And then we cut back to the moon, PJ.
1: yeah, where we're we're back in the ostentatious bathroom. And Johnny Quick is saying to Power Ring, we're trapped. Is this your fault? Ultraman's going to kick your ass. And Power Ring says, "What? I've been taking a leak here. So excessive peeing is one of the side
0: effects of his ring. Uh, unless it's the same. Oh, is it the same bathroom scene or has he, has he gone again is, is what you're saying? I think he's gone again. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess maybe maybe he's drinking a lot. I mean, if I was king of the world, maybe I might be wasted 24-7. I don't know. Um, but there is a, a a strange green glow coming from the exterior windows. And again, just showing how kind of snivelling and generally pathetic Power Ring is, he's instantly just gone the defensive, going like, it's not me, it's not my fault, it's not me. And the Ring, which has a voice of its own, confirms that they have been trapped by a plasma prison of unidentified origin.
1: Yeah, which Owlman seems to find quite amusing, so uh, Ultraman tells him to wipe that stupid grin off your stupid face and tell me, and Owlman just tells him to shut up and look as they look out of this green glow, and then we get an amazing splash page of Kyle Rayner hovering in space and he's basically created a giant pair of hands that is clasping the entire moon.
0: This is a fantastic image. Absolutely fantastic, I have to say.
1: And it's it, it's put me in mind of uh, the issue of Aztec we looked at, where Amazo used Green Lantern, Al Jordan's powers, to trap the JLA on the moon.
0: He didn't do it with hands, though, did he? No, but he that's because it bubble. was Al Jordan. It was just a bubble. Now, I heard... You know, my, my my younger, kind of, again, teenage and maybe more pedantic self was like, but there's gaps between the fingers. <laughs> I'm assuming that's just an aesthetic choice from Kyle and actually the field extends all the way around the moon.
1: Well, I think as long as the, uh, the syndicate's headquarters is trapped, which I'm guessing that's sort of on the top, underneath the thumbs and between the, the top two fingers, then they can't get out. And this is just Kyle being his usual flashy self.
0: I mean, I've got, I've got to say, like, it does say something about Kyle's power level that he's able to do this. Yeah, it's a huge deal. It's, 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 it's quite the thing, really. Uh, so, clearly, this is part of the plan. They're going to trap the uh, crime syndicate on the moon. Uh, but as Superman said, there is one member of the syndicate missing. And we cut now to the Daily Planet in Metropolis where somebody who looks a heck of a lot like Clark Kent is walking into the building. But I loved as well that you've got two people with copies of the Daily
1: Planet on the steps, and the front page is Freak Show Plane Crash. Hearts on left.
0: Yeah, like, it brings to mind um, some of... Well, frankly, some of these tight, some of these headlines would not be out of place in uh, some real-world tabloids, to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. But everything is is sex, 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 uh murder, uh executions, um, Elvis uh, execution as a uh, pay per view event. Um there's you can win big by playing bingo. Um apparently uh the Eurostates are planning to bomb evil Britain. Oh, jeez. Um, uh, yeah, so uh, clearly the darkest po- the darkest possible timeline. Uh and we see Clark Kent um, walking past with his mustache, adjusting his adjusting his mustache, which is actually a smaller mustache than Henry Cavill's. <laughs> Easier have, to CG out. Would have cost only a few hundred thousand dollars uh,
1: to to erase. It uh, it looks a lot like the Matches Malone mustache, which is lending
0: credence to my previous theory. <laughs> um, weirdly, everybody is looking at him like everyone is everyone is turning to look at him which leads me to believe that well we're going to get a bit of a bit of development here but um we see cat or this universe's version of cat who is um well a, a sterner figure shall we say she's she looks like a wizened
1: old crone who's had a lot of plastic surgery and done a lot of drugs.
0: Uh, that's the pool quote from PJ. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like it, it, it raises questions because as Clark Kent, uh, you know, Superman, spoilers, who is in disguise, um, is asking if Lois is available and he's very kind of like, uh, you know, kind of uh, classic Clark Kent, kind of like uh, awkward and stumbling, And... Apparently he is Lieutenant Clark Kent in this universe presumably with the Metropolis Police Department. Uh yeah and again it's weird I I don't really want to say this line out loud but uh yeah basically uh this world again not very pleasant and apparently he's he, people know him. This is a takeaway point I suppose is that yeah Apparently, Clark Kent and Lois Lane are married in this universe. Clark is a lieutenant, and presumably, presumably, quite a famous one because everybody yeah. knows him.
1: But presumably, he's also very because Cat says, "What's with the wimp act?" So presume you know, he Superman here has put on his normal, mild-mannered reporter Clark Kent guys, as it were. But presumably the Clark Kent in this reality, who may or may not be Ultraman, we never really get that confirmed, actually, is a bit tougher, a bit of a hard
0: ass. Well, I. This is this is really kind of like the baffling thing, I suppose. Because I I do assume that in this universe, Clark Kent is Ultraman. Um. If only because Luther said that. Ultraman was a human astronaut who was blasted off into space and was rebuilt by aliens and sent back. And Cat refers to him as Lieutenant and Space Ranger. So That's I'm, true. I'm assuming that that is this universe's origin story. Again, like the cosmic coincidence that both Ultraman and... Well, Clark Kent would end up becoming Ultraman and Lois Lane would end up becoming superwoman which is what we're about to find out so but, but lois lane
1: looks like diana prince in this universe
0: yeah which is not too so, and again not too kind of like yeah that that raises a lot of questions because again not to discredit a lot of artists but both wonder woman and diana prince are just kind of tall white ladies with kind of darkish hair so maybe at a push one could be confused for the other.
1: I I genuinely believe that it's the in the crime syndicate universe Lois Lane and Diana Prince are maybe the same person. There is no they're not separate entities. It's just yeah Diana Prince is Lois Lane in this universe. So that's why Superwoman is Lois Lane but is also looks a lot like Wonder Woman.
0: So did you do you interpret this as being in this universe, and I don't think there's a right answer here, but in this universe, "quote unquote" Wonder Woman, aka Superwoman, uh, is raised on an island, comes to comes to the modern world, and takes on the identity. She goes, "Oh well, I'm gonna, i my, my civilian identity is Lois Lane, uh, yes, and just make oh, or is it somehow some other twisted flipside thing where Lois Lane is the real person, and she gains." powers in some way to become Superwoman.
1: I I go the first one, purely because part of the Lois Lane secret identity is a pair of glasses. Yes. And is very, very
0: Superman Clark Kent. Yes, which is weird, of course, because Yeah, again, just some of the weird ideas that Morrison's playing with, because yeah, like the the transformation of Lois Lane to Superwoman, is that basically like, oh, undercover reporter actually you know, a superhero. Um But yeah, so as not-Lieutenant Kent makes his way into the Daily Planet, uh, he hears a conversation coming from a storeroom where Lois Lane is talking to Jimmy Olsen. And we do see that the lasso of truth, or I guess the lasso of lies, is actually a uh, a, a, a noose. It is actually a hangman's noose, yep. which uh, is a, a small, grim detail. I feel I'm saying grim a lot. It fits. <laughs> yeah, it is fit. Uh, yeah, it is fitting. Um, this scene is grim as well. Um, but Lois Lane is getting undressed and becoming Superwoman. And Jimmy Olsen is watching, being a big old perv. Um, but this is part of the kind of sadistic nature of it because Superwoman knows that he knows and knows that if he tells anyone, she'll kill him. So this is just all just some kind of perverted game, basically.
1: It almost seems to be a ritual they have. I feel like this is something that happens every time she changes from Lois Lane to Superwoman.
0: Yeah. And it's gross. And it's meant to be. <laughs> and I and think she
1: says, as she's changing, she says, "You breathe a word of this, and I'll skin you slowly with my fingernails." And Jimmy seems to like that.
0: Yeah. And this is the thing, though, isn't it? Like this is a gr- this is a grimy, grim scene, and it's meant to be. That's yeah. the point. Like it is. It would be very jarring if someone wrote, say, a Wonder Woman story where this was the case, and you go like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Where did this come from? Like that's out of character." But these are meant to be. These are meant to be bad people. This is this is the dark universe. So it, it's okay in this context, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. She even refers to him as Superman Snitch... Uh,
0: sorry, Superwoman Snitch Jimmy Olsen. And when she uh, completes her transformation by getting her cape out of her handbag, I suppose, she opens yeah. the storeroom and sniffs at the air because she can smell smoke. And somebody, can't think who... Has burnt the words the fortress now into the door, and they are those words are smoking.
1: So she flies off, calling Jimmy a pervert as she goes, towards Ultraman's Fortress and shouts for him. Uh, and she's genuinely angry because she says, You know the rules, no secret
0: identities. Which, of course, just proving that among the many qualities of you know this evil version of the league, um, She's also a hypocrite because she has just been using a secret identity. It's like they just can't help themselves; they just lie to each other as easily as as breathing.
1: I I took that to mean that she's saying we don't involve each other in in our secret identities. We don't, but
0: that doesn't. If if they're married as well, though, <laughs> I it just doesn't. Yeah, it's just yeah. Of course. And again, I'll bring this up in a few panels, PJ, but uh, as Superwoman arrives on Ultraman's floating fortress, um, she is greeted by Luthor, who is kind of standing like, a, dare I say it, a villain partially in the shadows. And Because that's a heroic thing to do in this reality. It is a heroic <laughs> thing to do in this And I guess this is the odd thing, because I guess we can view this scene from Superwoman's perspective, Hmm. where we're viewing it in a universe where evil is good. And, yeah, literally our hero, Superwoman, is suddenly accosted by an evil, quote-unquote, alternate universe version of the crime syndicate. How shocking.
1: And there's a nice moment. The leagues around her, as on the screen, you see Ultraman charging at the the green energy field surrounding them on the moon. And she tries to reason with them, says, you've been tricked, Luther's not like us. And then Wonder Woman punches her out, one hit, says, forgive me, sister. At the same moment as in the background, Ultraman hurts himself on the plasmus plasmus field. He just bounces off it in pain. And then the next panel is Superwoman on the floor as Superman picks her up saying that we don't want to hurt you. In pain, as behind her on the screen, Ultraman is also falling away from the field in pain. It's just a nice mirroring of what's happening to the two of them uh, at the
0: same time. And uh, also, small little thing, PJ, but Superwoman's eyes burn red. Yes. Which, again, just kind of shows that she's not a direct copy of Wonder Woman. Like, I assumed she has some kind of heat vision. Yeah. Yeah a weird universe PJ
1: it really is
0: now here's a question for you PJ and suddenly I I genuinely don't know the answer I'm suddenly doubting myself Um, post this story uh, Ultraman has appeared again a few times uh, in stories uh, well written by other creators but also written by Morrison I think of um, Superman Beyond in particular which was a two-part story that appeared in the middle of Final Crisis yes, and could be described as the best part of Final Crisis, I think, <laughs> uh, because it is completely separate to the plot of Final Crisis. I mean,
1: let's face it, there's not many options for best part of that story.
0: Uh, I would say it is actually... Yeah, it, it, is, it is a gem, like a pearl in the middle of that oyster. Um, mm-hmm. But in it, Superman and Ultraman appear and have to team up. And it is said in that story that they cannot touch each other because they are matter and antimatter. And more precisely, they are the exact duplicates of each other. So it's kind of suggested that if they were to actually come into contact with one another, they would annihilate each other. They would just explode. Is. <laughs> now, Wonder Woman just punched. Superwoman. Mm, help me, PJ. I'm guessing the, that isn't the case at this point.
1: The rules change, don't they? There's it's it's I don't want to spoil too much, but basically the events of JLA Avengers change the relationship between Earth One and Earth Two. Ah, because there's a whole storyline in the pages of JLA that Kurt Busick does where the crime syndicate come back where things have changed because of what happens in JLA Avengers.
0: Oh, is that the point at which... Yeah. Interesting, interesting. So
1: my, my interpretation would be that that's when
0: them not being able to touch happens. Well, in mm. yeah, it's interesting because I... Mm. You see, now I'm not sure, PJ, because I'm thinking of that story written by Busick I'm fairly damn certain there's a point at which Ultraman and Superman are actually fighting, but I'm going to have depends, to go and check.
1: Depends where they are because I'm sure as well. There's there's a line when the JLA are moving over to the Crime Syndicates universe in this book in Earth Two about Luthor sort of changing them into antimatter so that they can survive in the in on the other Earth.
0: Oh, is there? Oh God, now I can't remember. No, we you know we only read it recently, but no. <laughs> I guess the point is we are, maybe we're maybe we're overthinking it too much. Uh, but I was suddenly given that that's the kind of thing that Morrison generally is really on top of. I was just thinking to myself, oh, maybe that wasn't the case at this point, but it was written in later and then became canon. I I don't know, I don't know because Morrison does does some fun things with that concept in Superman Beyond. Which I I've say, just
1: flipped back. I've just flipped back, and Luthor does say, "Strap yourselves in for reversal." So I assume that's you're going to be antimatter while you're in the other universe.
0: I just you see. I'd I'd always read that as just, "Hey, we're about to port across to a new universe." But but yeah, maybe maybe it is. Like maybe it is, or maybe it just didn't matter at this point, and <laughs> I'm and I'm totally overthinking it. That's also possible. If anyone listening would like to shed any light on that, do let us know, because maybe there's, maybe there's an answer, I don't know. But while we wait for those answers... <laughs> we'll be waiting a while. <laughs> Luther,
1: Luther's set the, uh, the teleporter up for a one-way trip to the moon, and they just send Superwoman up to join the rest of the crime syndicate. In jail, is how Luther describes it. And then he says, we have 48 hours to tame the world.
0: Yeah, it's it's again, it's a great it's a great little thing where um, they've you realise that this is part of his plan. They've they've turned the moon into a prison, and now they're gonna fix the world. Um, I do also like, and I I think we, we we've mentioned this briefly before that this book subverts your expectations a little bit. I kind of like that the JLA have crossed over into the the crime syndicates universe. And we haven't yet had the big punch-up.
1: We've had Wonder Woman punch Superwoman and that's it. Once. She punched her once.
0: But it would be so obvious to just have the two teams start beating the crap out of each other. I do like that Morrison doesn't go there. It, It takes it in really weird directions.
1: And now we get another perfect illustration of the difference between Ultraman and Superman as Ultraman flies at the Green Lantern... Hands again bounces off them again, and back in the Watchtower, Superman
0: just says he's been doing that for hours. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, he Ultraman is a bit of a blunt instrument, shall we say? Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, they basically look to Power Ring. It's like, uh, oh hey, like who do we know who's good with um, green energy? Maybe uh, maybe Power Ring can sort it out, and Power Ring can't. Uh, The Ring can't The Ring is the brains of the operation really And Power Ring is just clueless
1: Yeah he says I'm working on it And the Ring says I am Entity Volthoom Unknown psychoplasmic energy
0: prison impenetrable At this juncture And Power Ring just goes see (laughs) And Owlman is about to tell him to Shut well shut up But not in as polite a way He's going to be rude He was about to be rude Um, When the TV flickers onto an image Of Wonder Woman and as we cut to, shall we say, the busy streets of Metropolis, we see her face on a massive screen on the side of a building, and the JLA are addressing the world, basically. John, I seem to have lost you. Oh, no, I'm still here. Sorry, I paused for dramatic effect and uh, maybe left the oh, pause a bit too long. I apologise. The, 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 no, the sound went completely. I lost you mid-word. Oh dear! Um, I'm still here. We can we Good. can we can pick this up. No need no need to fix it in post. We can do this. Uh, yeah. So Wonder Woman is addressing the universe, uh, the planet. Sorry, uh, on great big screens, um, and she basically, you know, the crowds stop and watch as she says, "Hey, we're hey hey everyone, we're the Justice League of America. We've come from a different world, and everything is kind of crappy here." So. We've come to help, basically.
1: Yeah, you get a shot of citizens reacting to her. They look
0: confused.
1: Ultraman describing justice as a coup. And then in Gotham, the bat signal on the skies as as Commissioner Wayne looks out the window and a janitor cleans up a lot of broken glass. Presumably that's from where Batman leapt out that window. And then Wonder Woman says, the skies are safe and we're here to set you free.
0: And Owlman takes the opportunity to taunt Ultraman about this. He's like, hey, hey! I mean, you wanted competition and we've just been completely bested by our other selves, basically.
1: But Owlman doesn't seem particularly unnerved. He's quite happy, in fact. He's just sitting there, needling Ultraman and then occasionally looking at his watch.
0: Oh, yeah, and he's having a drink as well. Yeah. He's, he's very, very chill. Uh, meanwhile, it's beginning to sink in like the rest of the crime syndicate are arriving at the obvious conclusion that everyone else got to like five minutes ago uh, when a holographic image of Luther, Flash and Green Lantern appears and Ultraman, again, a blunt instrument, instantly tries to tear a chunk out of the hologram. It's a hologram. Ultraman. He's not smart, is he? You Yes, you 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 can't hurt it. Um, and Luther is basically like, yeah, look at you. You're so predictable. You're all just backscabbing each other. as you know. And he goes, I found a better world and I've brought it back to rub in your face.
1: But we also get uh, another indication of how Owlman and Batman are different, not just in that one is Bruce Wayne and one is Thomas Wayne Jr., but Luther says to him, your drug in heart super cortex appears to have let you down this time. So it looks like Owlman used the shortcuts. He didn't go the train for a decade and a half like Bruce Wayne did. He just went,
0: ooh, drugs. Yeah, and again, has that kind of a, a, a twisted sense of humour, which may be like something Batman doesn't have in that same way, where, again, he, he just keeps checking his watch and is grinning to himself. So clearly Owlman knows something which no one else has, has worked out yet. And again, it is kind of fun to view this scene from the perspective of the crime syndicate, where if this isn't, if this weren't a Justice League book, if it were actually a crime syndicate book, our heroes have been imprisoned by their arch nemesis. This is like, you know, the lowest point for our heroes.
1: And yet Owlman, it looks like, has a plan.
0: Now, somebody who has a plan is uh, Luther, who we cut to uh, on top of like a a glowing map screen table thing, deep in thought, with a ton of um, Brainiac drones walking around in the background. And basically, he's got it all planned out, and he says, if you give me 48 hours, we can use the resources of the JLA to completely dismantle the crime syndicate's global power, basically. So he's basically using the JLA like a like a peacekeeping force, for lack of a better word. He's like, we can do as much good as we can in 48 hours and that will turn the tide somehow.
1: Yeah, and then we, we sort of get a montage, really, of you get a shot of Flash doing building repairs while Wonder Woman brings in food for starving people. Then Green Lantern, Superman, and Wonder Woman with the President of the United States who's like, look, we can work with you and tries to offer them some gold which Superman melts with his heat vision and says, look, you've got to think for yourselves now.
0: Yeah, this is basically like the only language this world understands is bribery and corruption. It's like, okay, okay, so, you know, Justice League, you're, you know, you're you're just the same as the old guys. Okay, we can suck up to you. We can be pathetic as well. <laughs> Um, But yeah, like the Justice League don't want money So but this world has no way of understanding them Because they're like, well, what do they want? What are they getting out of it? I don't understand
1: Yeah, and then we just then cut to Britain Where apparently uh, the US declared war on the British colonies uh, When they announced their independence And they've been enemies ever since So Britain's a bit of a state There is a statue of Adolf Hitler as well Because why not?
0: Yeah, I guess in this universe, Adolf Hitler was the leader of Britain. Yeah. Uh, There's still Zeppelins in the sky. And, again, a very fun Morrison kind of quirk here, but we get a kind of newsreel in, like, sepia tones, which wouldn't look out of place in, like, the 1950s. It kind of suggests that, like, technology hasn't progressed in Britain since, like, the war, basically. Yeah. Like, yeah, Britain is basically a completely backwards country.
1: And you, you see on this news report Flash basically bringing huge supplies of food from America to Britain and piling it up inside a, a big fenced-off cordon. And then Flash leaves and people start rioting and policemen start firing into the crowd to stop them. So yeah, Flash has brought food, but they haven't put any infrastructure in place to make sure it gets distributed
0: fairly. Or or maybe just, like, no matter how hard the League tries, like, human nature in this world is just so shitty. It's broken. Yeah. So almost immediately, riots kind of start out. Uh, And again, a nice little kind of bridging narrative device, but this newsreel takes us to somewhere in the Middle East, I guess, where Superman and Wonder Woman are dismantling nuclear missile silos. And, yeah, and then suddenly we snap back to reality and Wonder Woman and Superman are kind of comparing notes.
1: Yeah, Superman says that he's feeling uneasy because he's he's asking the question, where does crime end and politics begin on this world?
0: And in our world, Superman. Indeed. Um... It's interesting that the JLA have, of course, allowed themselves to take a backseat and just following Luther's plan. But yeah, it, Superman raises a good point. It's like, you know, can we possibly kind of like fix a world in 48 hours? Like we're basically like not quite toppling governments, but kind, kind of if you don't have a government, if you just have a kind of organized crime, I I guess it doesn't count, I suppose. It feels like Superman
1: is coming to a realization uh, that Wonder Woman's still got hope. She says they're on a humanitarian mission, not a political one, and they're giving the future back to the people. But Superman is uneasy and, and and realizing something about the world that they're on.
0: And this is, again, one of the fun kind of ethical decisions that the Justice League often come across, like in their stories. Like, yeah. uh, uh, it's a it's the kind of thing you can do more with the Justice League than you can with, say, the Avengers. Yes. Where it's like, if the Justice League are almost godlike in their pursuit of good, what happens when they come across a scenario which is very, very complex? I know um, uh, it's something that uh, Joe Kelly kind of covered in the later in, in in his in his story arcs later in this series. Um, I know there's one storyline where the Justice League accidentally intercept a distress beacon from a planet they've never even heard of before. And it was like a one in a billion chance that they would pick up that signal. And it basically tells them there's a war going on on this planet, you know, billions of light years away. And the big ethical debate is, should we get involved? Like, you know, we have the power to end the war, but should we? And Batman's point is, well, look, if we hadn't heard about it yesterday... You know, we wouldn't be interfering, basically, and it, it really just brings up like what is the point of the Justice League, and frankly revisits a lot of the ideas from this story. I,
1: I only vaguely remember that one. I'll need to reread that.
0: It's quite fun. Again, it was around the time of um, it was certainly in like a post um, Bush administration kind mm. of war on terror. It was very much commenting on that, basically. Like, do we do we have the right to interf- intervene in a political situation? that we don't know the subtleties of, basically. Uh, again, and this is kind of what the JLA are facing here, and Batman had reservations right at the beginning.
1: He's still going for it, though, because we cut to Gotham City, where Commissioner Wayne is basically saying the syndicate's not there for backup, the mobs are falling apart, and the Batman's eliminating Gordon's goons. So he and his cops decide to just... They're marching on City Hall, while Batman does indeed take down a bunch of goons.
0: It is interesting, though, isn't it? Because just as there is a mixture of good and evil in, you know, our world, in the JLA's world, even though this universe is predominantly bad, for lack of a better word, um, there must there is good in the world. It's just kind of smaller. So, again, I, I am kind of fascinated by, like, there is a there is a government there is a mayor for mm. lack of a better word but it is utterly corrupt because you've got boss gordon running the town and yeah and the, but the the syndicate is is backing them up it, it's it's such a weird kind of power structure right i can't quite i can't quite place it yeah it's it's an odd one and you get
1: this scene which looks like a victory so you've got the gcpd marching on city hall and Commissioner Wayne announcing into a, a a megaphone, you know, you all know me, you all know I stand for a clean Gotham. We have boss Gordon and his men surrounded in City Hall. If you want to see real changes in this city, if you want to feel safe in your own backyards, get out here on the streets. We're smoking the rats out of City Hall. So he's he's inciting rebellion among the normal citizens as well, which doesn't feel entirely
0: safe, but No, and it's interesting that even when in this universe, quote, uh, Commissioner Wayne is quote unquote a good man. He's achieving his goals through an, inc- an incredible amount of violence and military force. Basically, he, he's got tanks on the streets. Yeah, like except, yeah, it's it's a it's quite a it's quite a scene, really. And it, it's interesting that like. This world is so kind of dark at its root that it seems you can't even do good in a good way, if that makes sense. Yeah. So
1: you've got some cops who are dragging Boss Gordon down the steps of City Hall. And he basically says, you've got yours coming, Wayne, you cheap piece of crap. And then he invokes his wife and child, so saying you won't see it just like your wife and your punk kid. And Batman is there watching. He's just... just hanging upside down watching the scene play out as Wayne says to Gordon, tell it to your boyfriends in Arkham. You didn't, I promise you were finished you and Owlman. man. And then Gordon says, we'll say hi to your wife in the dirt. And um, then another cop
0: approaches with a gun. Well, yeah. And this is so strange because there's something very sinister about this figure. And I, I, i can't believe that this wasn't intentional but like it's a character wearing a hat and wearing like a a long kind of overcoat but everything else like under that is black like it's and i think that's a definite stylistic choice it it makes them seem more like an idea like a like some kind of abstract concept rather than a person
1: Yeah, I think at this point, I think the scene shifts. So you're seeing it from Batman's point of view. And it's just a representation again. Because at this point in the comics, Batman, the guy who killed his parents was just an unknown guy. They never found out who he was. They never caught him. It wasn't Joe Chill in the comics at this point. There was about 20 years, I think, where Joe Chill wasn't a thing before they brought that idea back. And I think from Batman's perspective, again, this is just a guy pointing a gun at his dad and history repeating, and it's the spectre of
0: that mugger in the street that killed his parents. Yeah, and I think spectre is a good word. It's like um, Morrison's, you know, very big on the mythology of Batman. And this, you know, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but just for a second, like this weird little figure with a gun, it just seems like, almost like the walking concept of just like, nameless violence and again i'm probably reading into this too much but for morrison everything about batman is mythic like every moment is kind of i don't know like primal in nature and yeah it's like history is repeating itself and right and yeah that horrible moment he's seeing his dad and a nameless figure kind of pointing a gun at his head and it's Yeah, well, again, Batman just moves like a blur. Like, most of the action happens off-panel. It's very well done.
1: Yeah, so you you have a a Batarang hits this guy in the arm, causing him to throw his gun up. And then the next panel is the gun in the air, and then the next panel is this guy is gone. Just his hat (laughs) as the tip of Batman's cape is flying off-panel as Batman has leapt in and shoved this guy away. And then the gun lands on the ground and fires
0: into the air again. And... As Batman is, you know, helping Wayne up, uh, he goes, God below, did you just save my life? A chill went right up my spine. So (laughs) again, everything is just weirdly inverted. And of course, um, a riot has broken out and the police are now violently beating members of the public. Uh, It's all just gone sour. Everything goes sour in this world. Yeah, and
1: Batman says to Commissioner Wayne, people need to be more careful with guns as bats fly out from
0: under the bridge that Batman was was hanging out under for a moment ago. Yeah, and all around them now is, is violence. All around them, people are just beating the crap out of each other. And Batman hands over the disc that we saw Owlman having at the start with the names of all... Uh, the uh, loyal cops on the force and he basically says look um you know our mission is over we were here to set an example but my colleagues and i are leaving now so what are you going to do and wayne says he's going to
1: build a new gotham and then you get a panel of him grinning and it is deeply unpleasant as he says I'm putting a wall around this city, making it self-sufficient and strong and clean. Anyone who doesn't like it gets a bullet in the face. And I'll want Owlman back here for trial and execution, of course. And it's, yeah. it, it, here's that word again. It's grim.
0: And you just get this shot of Batman. And he he just goes, of course. But it's, But again, it's like, hey, it's a comic, everyone. You don't get tone or inflection so it is a massive credit to both morrison and quietly here you get so much complex emotion from batman here
1: this is he's having that moment superman just had with wonder woman batman is has come to the realization this isn't going to work this is this this universe is built differently to ours we can't do what we set out to
0: yeah and it's like you know batman just, you know, his, his that vow of, you know, no guns, no killing, life is sacred. And seeing this world and realising that good, quote-unquote, on this world, is almost as violent and indiscriminate as bad. And also just the realisation that you cannot fix this world by punching it. <laughs> that, that's kind of what I get from this panel. It's like Batman hearing something which is so abhorrent to him, but then knowing that he can't stay to do anything about it and he wouldn't be able to anyway.
1: Yeah, and I feel like there's an element of Batman knew this going in, but then he gets caught up when he realises he has a chance to connect with, quote-unquote, his father. Yeah. And I think the emotion of it almost clouds his judgement a little bit. But it right through, he says he's uneasy about it, but I feel like this is a moment where he's sort of almost in his head is going, "I was right, this isn't going to work." and he knew from the beginning
0: yeah there's this world is and again, credit to Morrison, like this there's a lot of subtlety in this story, and the realization that this world is just ill at its core. And you cannot just slap a plaster on that and try to make it better. Um, and I guess from this kind of merry-go-round of, of JLA's kind of like peacekeeping activities, we, we cut back to the moon where the crime syndicate are still kind of just sniping at each other. And Ultraman lashes out with his heat vision and destroys the TV screen that Wonder Woman's talking on because just with utter hatred and contempt basically
1: yeah and then johnny quick says to Owlman, man look you said we had them beat so how come we're trapped smart ass but Owlman is still just sat there smiling and he says look they come from another world their good is our evil our evil is their good so yeah it's all backwards, it's all opposite, and then Owlman just says, and Luthor missed the floor in a plan. He's brought do-gooders to a world where evil always triumphs. Do you understand yet? And then he says, and call me smartass again and I'll cut your speed powder with horse laxative. you'll be the fastest skid mark alive. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and again, Owlman, the smartest man in the room, just has to wait while his slightly slower teammates catch up. And they start kind of piecing it together and they go... And they realised that there was a plane where everyone was dead, but all their hearts were on the left side. So they must have come from a JLA's Earth. Hmm.
1: What does this mean? And Power Ring says, look, it's going to take me another day to crack the barrier. As his ring says, I am Entity Volthoom. Fluctuation's in the etheric base of the plasma.
0: And then Power Ring says, look, he's saying it's not my fault. <laughs> and Ultraman, the penny is finally dropped. He realises that Owlman has something planned. So Owlman finally just lays it on the line, what he worked out ahead of everyone. He said, look, a jet containing the same number of people disappeared 24 hours earlier from our Earth. Cosmic scales, they have to be balanced. Our alter selves arrived 24 hours ago. All we had to do was wait.
1: And then we get a, the same panel, the same room, but the crime syndicate are just not there anymore. All that's there is one little speech bubble as our man, owl man, not our man, he's someone else, <laughs> owl man gets in one last shot and just calls Ultraman an idiot.
0: Dun, 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 dun. And that's where we're going to leave and That's two. where we're going to leave it. Part 2. Yeah. <laughs> Arbitrary Part 2 of <laughs> Earth 2. Um, PJ. What are your thoughts?
1: the The Batman scenes in in that second act, as it were, are my favourite scenes. I think from that particular portion of the book,
0: they they are fantastic, um, and I think made all the more ultimately heartbreaking. I suppose for yeah. Batman to realise that this isn't his dad, like this is not the man that Thomas Wayne was in in. I, I keep on saying, like, our universe, but, you know, in classic JLA universe, like, yeah, I guess it's... I We use the word grim a lot in talking about this, and I want to say that in the best possible way, you know what I mean? I, I'm not, it's grim, but not as a criticism. It's grim because it has to be.
1: Yeah, I agree, and I think those those Batman scenes really show that in the best way because Gotham city on the JLA's universe is of all the cities in the DCU, the, the grim one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's where Batman lurks on gargoyles and, and, <laughs> you know, all that good stuff. And then for, for Batman to come to a reality where Gotham is just even worse and try to fix it as best he can, even knowing it's a futile, futile mission, is, is the the way Morrison and quietly tell that story in those few pages is just beautiful the fact you can read so much on Batman's face in certain panels and just where Morrison puts the little pauses in dialogue and the way mm. quietly puts the subtle inflections in his chin
0: effectively because mask <laughs> it's beautiful work probably the most emotive chin in comics I would say yeah <laughs> I mean, it's interesting because I mean, uh when you when you proposed that we should uh break Earth 2 up into three parts to talk about it. So as to not have a six-hour episode. So as to not have a six-hour episode. Uh I hadn't really thought about, you know, I'd thought maybe, oh, maybe we'll cut it in half or so. But it's actually really interesting to look at it this way, because for a story that has no arbitrary breaks, that is one nearly a hundred-page standalone story, we've got to look we've now been able to look at look at it in acts which i've never really kind of mm. done before and it's interesting that kind of like viewing now the second act of this story i like very much how it's less about the jla as it is about exploring this world it's um morrison is really flexing with the concept i think like just going, what is it? No, let's take a really daft idea. Let's take an inherently stupid idea. What if there was a world where good and evil are inverted? It's it's, it's daft. The world doesn't work like that. But then Morrison actually takes the time to really explore that world, and I I, I just like that so much because it would be so easy, as I said, to to just go oh, the JLA are fighting an evil version of themselves. Let's just have 100 pages of them beating the crap out of each other. And instead, we get this very weird and different story, which is more like a kind of magical mystery tour of the dark side of the mirror, I suppose.
1: Yeah, and it's as you say, it feels like, other than Batman, we spend more time with the syndicate than we do with the League in, Mm. in this portion of the story. Certainly it feels like Johnny Quick and Powering have more to say and do than Flash and Green Lantern do. I mean, they both get their moments. Kyle gets that glorious splash page where he's grabbing the moon. But Powering and Johnny Quick are are bigger
0: parts of the story at this point. It's actually a fair point, really, because the JLA are really just so established at this point. Like, so established. And, you know, this was um, very early 2000 when this came out, so... I think I think we worked that out, didn't we? Yeah. yeah. So Morrison has been writing JLA for se- like for a f- good few years now. Hmm. So I guess the security that gives you is knowing that you don't need to do development with those characters. Um, they can just be there, and they can be the stable core of bigger concepts and bigger, you know, exploring a world. And everything um now i guess the flip side of that is when you know you rely a little too much on them just being tropes but it's interesting that you know you you raise a good point about kind of kyle and wally not really having a lot to do so to speak and i'd never really noticed that before well yeah and we, we didn't even
1: touch base with sean and aquaman in that portion of the story. They're all going to have things to do in this the third act of the story, all four of them, but we don't need to really see that here. That's This act is about what is this other earth about? And what I, are the crime syndicate about? What's their modus operandi as compared to the Justice League? Because
0: again, this was the first reappear... The first appearance? Or the, f- the first reappearance of the crime syndicate post... Uh, Post crisis, yeah.
1: First appearance since Crisis on Infinite Earths.
0: Yeah. So really, because it's like everybody knows the JLA. and Morrison has been writing the JLA for several years. It's like this is not about the JLA. This is about big concepts and introduce reintroducing an e- this this evil version of the League. So despite that, it's actually kind of interesting that Batman probably has the most emotional journey in this story like there is an emotional heart to this story to go along with the bigger concepts i suppose
1: yeah definitely and i think uh, you know this this came out in 2000 so that's 14 years after crisis on infinite earths the previous appearance of the crime syndicate <laughs> so there there were readers and i was one of them who didn't know the crime syndicate was even a thing no, no, certainly me So me as well. Morrison has to introduce the concept afresh in this book and they do it beautifully. And yeah. setting having the space to introduce the world and, and establish what the rules are in that world and how things work by having the league try and change it is is a very clever conceit when you boil right down to the bones of it,
0: I think. And I, Yeah, and again, I know, I know our entire the entire concept of this podcast is basically about kissing Morrison's ass, but um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't want to be too, you know, just going like, oh, everything Morrison does is, is, is you know, is, is a flawless masterpiece. That's not what I'm trying to say. But no, I, but he I, wrote Final Crisis. Like, well, indeed, yeah, and 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 the and his current uh, the, sorry the the current run on on Green Lantern I, I find I find almost unreadable, um, and yet. A book like this shows why Morrison for so long has been at the pinnacle of kind of big concept kind of superhero writing. Because you could have just done a story where, oh, hey, the JLA meet their counterparts and they're just cackling, kind of mustache twirling evil versions. Like, to really just play in this world... And, and and just flesh out these weird just subtle takes on an evil version of uh, the the it's such a trope is what i'm saying like hmm. it, it's so easy to do the venom to your spider-man or the um oh god help me out pj uh who's another negative version of a hero um
1: uh the strife to your cable that's a really bad example or that it pains me, PJ, but I'll take it. Yeah, <laughs> so
0: it's so easy to go, go.
1: No, I got one, I got one. The Albert to their Wolverine.
0: Albert? You don't
1: remember Albert and L.C.D.?
0: I don't. I, oh, but my I,
1: God, I, I just got that. Sorry, L.C.D., she was a little robot girl in uh, in Wolverine. Her name was Elsie. And then her surname was D, But I've just said it out loud for the first time in my life.
0: Was she the one who kept blowing up? She was like a bomb. Yeah, she was a bomb. Yeah, okay. So yes yeah, LCD. So I, she's, and, ah. and now you've said it, PJ. Yeah, you suddenly... Yep, there we
1: go. I, I first came across her over 20 years ago, and I think this is the first time I've ever said
0: her name out loud, so now I understand the joke. What's there like a... I swear we've had... I, I've already forgotten it, but I swear that there's been another moment like that while we've been doing this show. Yes, almost certainly. Yeah, and we've we've suddenly gone like, oh, I get it. <laughs> so, <laughs> Not that we're pu- slow. No, Pulse Eight, PJ. That's it. Pulse Eight, <laughs> yeah, from the Super Soldiers. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, what was my point? Yeah, it's dark so, versions of heroes. Yeah, it's a trope. It's such a trope, and it's it's quite an easy one to do. It's like, yeah. oh, I'm the dark reflection of everything in your soul. I'm the exact opposite of you, and I'm going to test your morals and limits.
1: Well, I think Spider-Man has at least three or four of them, doesn't he? Venom, Carnage, Doppelganger.
0: Yeah, yeah, because that's basically Venom. You know, yeah. it's it, it, it's 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 a fun, reliable trope, and I just I full credit to this story for being so unusual. Like, really, yeah. just not going where you would expect it to go.
1: It's the fact that Morrison takes the time to give the crime syndicate such different origins to the JLA like I I'm not overly familiar with pre-crisis crime syndicate and whether he uh, sorry they keep the same origins as as what the syndicate had before I'll be honest but, with you
0: PJ I don't think they ever even really had Well exactly those that's it yeah. I
1: I'm I'm pretty sure even though the crime syndicate had been used before and and done before Morrison's the one that fleshes them out
0: here. Do you know what's really weird? I, I'm almost convinced that at the end of Morrison's run on Animal Man, where things get pretty meta and yes. weird, I'm damn certain that the pre-crisis version of Ultraman pops up at that point. Oh, okay. I'm damn certain. As a character who has been written out of continuity... And he's, bear in mind it's Morrison writing both that version of Ultraman and this version of Ultraman, they're not the same character at all. Like, completely that pre-Crisis version of Ultraman is just a pretty generic and forgettable evil version of Superman. There's no nuance or anything. Yeah, Like, this version of Ultraman he's hateful. Like, he's really vile. And it's saying something to make a character who isn't just, like, cackling and tying damsels to a so I said that really weird, tying damsels to uh, train tracks, you know there's a nuance of evil here which is quite you know, again, it's grim you, you feel kind of dirty, but it's very unique. I think I figured it out.
1: This take on Ultraman is what Comicsgate thinks Superman is.
0: Yeah Yeah No, I, no, I, I can see that 100% and I, yeah, it's just like He's just a thug. He's just a all-powerful. Yeah, and it's yeah. And it's interesting like here we have like two versions of Superman, really. And it's like if you take the heart out of the character, you get Ultraman. I it, it's and and he's he's not nice. Like he's he's pretty horrible.
1: Yeah, I now I'm thinking about it. I'm when we get Zack Snyder's completely unnecessary 4 hour version of Justice League in whenever that comes out I almost feel like that Superman is going to be closer to being Ultraman than Superman. Yeah. And that's a damn shame because <sighs> it means of, you know, everyone's missed the point.
0: Yeah, it is kind of damning as well. And and talking I mean talking about like kind of missing the point, which I think is a is a you know very good way of looking at it. Um Morrison's work is often if not copied, then referenced. I feel, hmm. I feel Morrison's work at DC in particular is always very high concept. Well, actually, no. Let's look at Marvel as well. You look at what did. Or look at what they did with um, X Men. Look at what Morrison did with Justice League. Big, big, big kind of game-changing concepts, which were, you know, had quite a following at the time. So, readers and uh, sorry, creators in years to come would keep referencing these moments. You know, um, there's clearly something very compelling about the crime syndicate because they've been brought back several times uh, with differing levels of success. Yeah. Like I know in the New 52, for example, uh, there was a new, new, new rebooted version of the crime syndicate. Um, Completely different to this version other than the names. It's like, oh, Ultraman's back, or Superwoman's back. Oh, and there's more of them. Like, there's a, there's an evil version of Firestorm, for example. And for me, at least, you talk about kind of missing the point. It's like, I, and again, I don't know who that creative team is, and I don't want to kind of, harp, you know, rag on them too much, but, like, what they took away from Earth 2 was it's cool to have an evil version of our heroes, and that's it. That's all. They they took away the look and the name. So I think the new 52 version of the crime syndicate is basically what you get if you take out all the nuance.
1: Is there an argument to be made that I apologize, one of my cats has just jumped on my lap and is chirruping. So there might be some weird noises at my end now. (laughs) Um, Is there an argument to be made that the crime syndicate of America is DC's Squadron Supreme? in that they're a version of the Justice League who have had four or five different incarnations who keep popping up, but every person feels the need to put their own spin on it and do a different variation on it. And there was one version that was really successful and really good to the point where no one feels they can quite touch it, so they just do something
0: worse. I wish they felt they couldn't touch it, if I'm honest. Like, I I feel... I feel... It's almost, like, it's almost like someone went, I'm gonna, I, I, I really, really, really liked Morrison's run and I'm going to do my own spin on concepts that Morrison introduced. And they tried to make the crime syndicate and they ended up making the Revenge Squad holograms. <laughs> yeah. If, like, the only way you can think to make Superman evil is to replace his S with a skull then I think you kind of missed the point a little bit.
1: Well, that's why I'm comparing them to the Squadron Supreme, because in Marvel you get early versions of the Squadron Supreme who are basically just the JLA for the Avengers to fight. But then Mark Gruenwald in, I want to say the 80s, does an amazing 12-issue series that really analyzes the Squadron Supreme and by extension therefore, the JLA, and does an absolutely brilliant take on it that everyone loves. And then people keep on bringing back the Squadron Supreme in Marvel Comics, but a different version, like the Straczynski version, which is okay but isn't Gruenwald, or whichever version it was that was introduced at the end of Hickman's run on Avengers. And it's just never as good and kind of pointless and like just leave that version that we had and and let's leave it at that. I, th- I feel I th- like the crime syndicate are the same in a way.
0: I wonder if there's also an element of, say you've ended up writing The Avengers or something like that, where, where do you go from there? And I feel from a career path, you want to write Justice League. Like I, I feel there's an element of that, and I feel what the Squadron Supreme at least gives Marvel writers is the opportunity to write a soft Justice League story. Yeah. As an audition, basically. Cause didn't um correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Roy Thomas, who I want to say introduced the Squadron Supreme or the Squadron Sinister.
1: Yeah, he definitely brought in the Squadron Sinister.
0: Didn't for as Avengers enemies, didn't he get a job writing the Justice League off the back of creating the Squadron Supreme?
1: I think you're right. Yeah, mm. I think that did happen. I
0: wanna yeah, I wanna say that is the case. Hey, but, you know, one really good thing to come out of Squadron Supreme? Doc, Doc Spectrum. Definitely. Doc Spectrum's costume <sighs> is legendary. Oh, PJ. <laughs> Talking <laughs> about excellent, like, bad designs. or Like, <laughs> like it's so awful and good at the same time. Like, I, I, I absolutely love it. I am right there with you. Listener, your homework is to go and Google Doc Spectrum. And just give give your give your face a joyride because I that is just a delight.
1: And if you want to read a really good Avengers Squadron Supreme battle, go and check out Busick's. I think it's issues four and five, maybe five and six from Ooh. his Heroes Return run in the late nineties. There is a brilliant two part JLA Squadron Supreme storyline in that, that. Is that uh, the one with
0: the champion?
1: Immas Champion, yeah. Uh
0: illustrated by Cal-
1: George Perez. The, they was an annual. That followed on from the two-part oh, story, which I, followed up on the two-part story in the I'm, main
0: book. Because this, this is embarrassing, I, I've only uh, I, I I used to have the uh, UK uh, uh, Avengers Collect- United, the Avengers one United, that made
1: them sound like a football team.
0: Uh, you got to sell it to the British market, PJ. <laughs> uh, but yeah, oddly enough, the only gap in my collection was the Busick Perez uh Avengers Squadron Supreme crossover and I started collecting immediately after that hmm. with the uh which I think had the um uh the annual which was illustrated by I want to say Carlos uh Pacheco if I'm pronouncing yes. that right. Yeah
1: yeah uh, it, was, it was him.
0: Yeah and yeah it's always fun to read it and go like oh yeah this is hmm. what would happen if the JLA met the Avengers kind of
1: up until JLA Avengers anyway.
0: Up until, up until JLA Avengers. Does does the Squadron Supreme make a did they make I can't remember, did they make a brief appearance in JLA I don't Avengers?
1: Th- I, uh, I don't think they appear. I know that Hawkeye does refer to the JLA as Squadron Supreme Light.
0: Yes, yeah, which is fun. Yeah. Yeah, because doesn't Hawkeye keep Because the Wizard is the Flash counterpart. Yeah. And is it like every time Hawkeye? Every time Hawkeye tries to take down the Flash, he's like, it never works. He's like, oh, damn it, that would have worked on the Wizard. Yes. Because, <laughs> <laughs> bless the Squadron Supreme were always a bit ineffective, weren't they? In- oh, well, yeah, they could never have them be as good
1: as the Avengers in the Avengers' own books. The only time the Squadron Supreme were effective was in the Squadron Supreme series themselves. And I think they've only really had two good ones.
0: But wasn't there... Weirdly, actually, come to think of it, wasn't there a weird parallel with what's going on in Earth Two? Because I swear, Busick wrote in a point where I swear there was some throwaway line saying that there was because the Squadron Supreme had come across from their universe and were trapped in the Avengers universe in Earth Six One Six. I swear there was some throwaway line about how they were slightly like out of sync with the vibration of the world and thus yeah something like that were never quite as effective as they were back at home I think
1: yeah yeah that rings a bell
0: yeah you see parallels PJ we're bringing <laughs> it it all together
1: it's weird I've never thought of a connection between the crime syndicate and the squadron supreme until now but now I have thought about it
0: it makes total sense this is your this is your thesis PJ oh
1: I've got to actually go away and write something now yeah this will <sighs>
0: be like from it'll be like from, from squadrons both supreme and sinister to the Crime Syndicate of America.
1: Do you know what? I just want the next Marvel DC crossover now to be the Crime Syndicate versus
0: the Squadron Supreme. Now now, PJ, that is thinking outside the box. That is <laughs> no, no. Top top shelf, top dollar idea. That is don't slap a skull on it. Do it the PJ way. Like that is a different way of approaching an old concept. The only problem is it
1: wouldn't sell. <laughs> Let's face it. <laughs> Those, 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 That is not a
0: selling title, PJ. Don't, don't, don't come at me with your problems. I want solutions, PJ. <laughs> all right, I'll have a solution for you by the time we cover Act Three of Earth Two. It's just, oh, yeah. I just feel like there's an editorial discussion somewhere where somebody going, "Yes, but it won't sell." <laughs> you know, kind of. I mean, that's all my ideas. I know, but P- PJ, if 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 anybody. In an editorial position, had said that we wouldn't have got most of the books of the '90s. They did sell because people thought they were going to be valuable.
1: It's
0: a hell of a decade. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, have we? Have we? Um, I know we've got another another installment yet to come, PJ. But for the time being, have we wrung all the enjoyment out of the uh, the dishrag of JLA Earth Two? <laughs> That's doing it a disservice, but yes, yes, I think we have. <laughs> in this, this grimy parallel universe, let's wring a few more drops of griminess out of it.
1: Don't worry, folks. Next next time we do get some scenes set on the JLA's world, so it's not all so grim.
0: It's not all bad, no. Um, but I guess, uh, uh, in which case, I should say a, a massive thank you to SuperScar artist Gav Mitchell for drawing our incredible cover art.
1: And... Elliot Red, immensely talented musician for composing and performing our theme tune Justice.
0: And if you enjoy hearing PJ and I uh, ramble on about any kind of uh, nonsense uh, you can find us both on social media Uh, our details are in the description. Uh, PJ, is there there anything left you'd like to shout about? No. This is good. (laughs) This is good, this is concise. Uh, Well in which case PJ, could you please do us the honours and... uh, Kind of take us home in your own uh, amazing, amazing manner. I've just got to,
1: you know, the story we're looking at, I can only really do what I did last time, but switch it up slightly. To be concluded.